No, I didn't know. I didn't know we'd be this far along, but I knew we would be successful, but not like this. So, I mean, don't judge a book by its cover, number one. For sure. And number two, all that did was fuel me. You know, there's some people, and I would I would tell anybody listening, you know, there's some people in your life that will do things to discourage you, whether it's a total stranger that just look, you know, is, is making a judgment based on the way you look, or it couldn't even be someone as close as your parents, you know, who who love you and want the best for you, but they they tell you not to do something because they think you're, they're protecting yeah. you from it. But if you have a goal and a dream, you know, let that be fuel for you to just go out and prove them wrong. the video podcast that keeps you in the mix of everything real estate. I'm Noel Fryson. And I'm Eric Anderson, and we're so excited to have special guests with us today. And we're going to ask them lots of questions, and Noel's going to tell you who they are. <laughs> we have Glenn and Amber Schwarm. They started out as a newly married couple way in debt. And now they flip over a hundred houses a year and have made some crazy number in revenue. Well, I think Omar, you've only flipped like 10 houses a year. So yeah. maybe even you'll learn something from these people. I hope so. So of course we have our power panel. We have Omar, we have Nima, we have Adam, but you guys know them and we want to hop right into talking to Glenn and Amber. Hey Glenn and Amber, how are ya? Welcome Great. to the show today. Great. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks, guys. We're excited. So can you tell us a little bit about how you started out? Um, I know you were $80,000 in debt with four small children. So go through the whole thing because it's inspirational, really. How far back do you want to go? So I was born. That, no, okay. So we don't go back that far. So we were... I'll get it for you. <laughs> yeah. We were 2000, so 2007 or so, we were both going through divorces from our spouses, and we were actually friends prior, and she was living in, uh, where were you, Texas? I moved from Texas to Florida, yeah. Yeah, so we, we ended up um, deciding to get into the real estate game, and I always wanted to buy and hold. I, I, that was always my thing, and then Amber said, no, I want to flip houses. Well, you know, when you're $80,000 in credit card debt, we were like, well, listen, if we're going to do this, we have to find ways to make large chunks of cash legally, right? We have to find a way to do that and not sell crack on a corner. So I said, okay, how can we do this? And we went to a, we went to a seminar. The funny part is the seminar we went to, there was eight people in the room and the guy said, you know, and it was date night. So Amber was all decked out and there was eight people, including us. And the guy said, you know, to be successful, you'll have to go in homes that she'll never go in. Pointed at me. And I thought, Buddy, you have no idea. We had to put the house <laughs> in. Buddy, you have no idea. Because I knew, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know we'd be this far along, but I knew we would be successful, but not like this. So, I mean, don't judge a book by its cover, number one. For sure. And number two, all that did was fuel me. You know, there's some people, and I would, I would tell anybody listening, you know, there's some people in your life that will do things to discourage you, whether it's a total stranger that just look, you know, is, is making a judgment based on the way you look. Or it couldn't even be someone as close as your parents, you know, who, sure. who love you and want to best for you, but they, they tell you not to do something because they think you're, they're protecting yeah. you from it. But if you have a goal and a dream, you know, let that be fuel for you to just go out and prove them wrong. So did anyone, did anyone close to you tell you not to go forward and do this? Oh, sure. We, we had, you know, remember, so, so let's go back in history. It's 2007. <laughs> we bought our first house. So we went, we went to a seminar, wherever we, we ended up getting started. So we bought our first house in 07. In 08, we're trying to sell it, and the market is collapsing all around us. Like the sky is falling. Like oh, yeah. Do you remember like, that? From real estate. Anybody who was in that time remembers. And everybody that we knew was like, boy, real estate, you shouldn't do real estate. You shouldn't do real estate. And I, you know, look, I tend to be, <laughs> I believe that the masses have a silent M. I don't believe they think smart, right? So as, as a group, as a, as a whole, as human beings, we don't think well in a group. So I tend to always go against the grain. And so we went all in and we, we pushed all in. We did one, let me see, our first house we bought in 07, sold in 2008. Then the market fell out from underneath us and we did three more that year. Yeah. We did three more that year. One the first year, three the second year. Did all the work ourselves. You know, and I'm not a contractor. I can't even read a tape measure, right? I'm a complete moron when it comes to that For stuff. For real, y'all, he can't read a tape measure. I cannot. <laughs> no, well, right. There's a lot of dashes. It's very confusing to me. So I can't. <laughs> yeah, well, well, one of us can. So we do the work ourselves, and uh, then the next year I think we did seven, then nine, then twenty, and now th this year our we don't we don't we're not actively involved anymore. Our company we actually live in Florida. We live, 
we were fortunate enough to be able to move down to the beach here in Florida. And our business is still in upstate New York. Yeah, we're in upstate New York, and we will still do over a hundred deals a year. I think this year we'll actually eclipse one thousand deals we've done. That's amazing. Like are, you, are you focusing? Are you focusing on that specific upstate New York New York market, or have you branched out to other parts of the country? We've come a little bit downstate, like I forget what county that we're in now, but we're we went a little bit west, a little bit down. Right now, we're focused there because that's it's just what it's where we have all of our connections, right? Now, I don't love if, if being really honest, I don't like doing business in New York. It's very tough. The cycle time from when you buy a house to sell a house, even when you wholesale or flip, it takes bloody forever because there's a billion attorneys. So it just everybody wants to get a piece of the pie. So it's difficult to do business in New York, but we it's just what we know, and so we uh, we continue on. So. So that goes to show you that even in a state that's challenging to do it, it, you can still be successful though. Yeah. Glenn, can I, can I ask you a question? So you said you do, yeah. you you use the word deals, right? And I think what, what I'm interested to know is, and uh, I think we all know your backstory. Anybody who Googles you knows your backstory. So uh, what do you mean by deals? Because you can't, you can't, be involved, someone who does flipping, right? You can't be involved in over a hundred deals a year. It, it just, you would have them, you would have a nervous breakdown, right? You know, your contractors calling you, you sightseeing. So when you say now deals, what does that mean to you? So our team, we, we have a team. My, number one, I have a, I'm blessed to have a very good COO that we hired last year that runs the day-to-day -day operations. We have uh, acquisitions managers, distributions managers, and then a whole team of people are there. We have an HR department, all that kind of stuff. So a deal for us is any deal that we, any house that we do, and we have a we have a different disposition for every type of house. What wound up being last last year we did it was either a hundred. There's always been argument if it's a hundred or hundred and one deals last year. It's one or the other. I'm not sure when one of them closed, but out of those, about seventy eight or seventy nine of those were wholesales. So we buy those and sell them to somebody else. I we we started back in 08 and we didn't do that for many many years. Now it's become the thing to do, right? So um, we spend so much on marketing to find the flips that we end up selling those off to other investors. So that's a deal where you don't, you just put it under contract and sell that to somebody else. I'm sure you guys know what that is. So obviously if then, it fits your criteria, then you flip it. If not, you wholesale it. Or keep it for a rental. Yeah, so we, yeah, that's that's really what we do, right? We, we look at- Go back, you're, you're, you're in the middle of saying, all right, so that's a portion of it. You're talking about you, you're wholesaling, say 76 of them. Now, what about the other 30 something? Then the, the other one, so usually we try and keep eight to 10 rentals a year, whether it be long-term or short-term. We have a whole uh, uh, chunk of short-term rentals also, but we also keep long-term. And the other ones we'll do full renovations on. Now I say full renovations, those could mean, you know, in, in the in the last couple of years, it's been a crazy seller's market. You could put paint on something and just sell it. It was crazy, right? So we, we were doing, if we could get, however we could get the most amount of money the quickest without, without without looking like a flipper. Like we, our reputation is to do a great renovation, not to turn on a crappy product. That makes sense, you know what I mean? So we, we're we not a flipper per se, but you know, if we could go into a house and I remember one house we bought and fixed it up because the the seller or the yeah the seller didn't want to mess around with it and the, it had to have a couple of things fixed for an FHA buyer. So I went in and bought the house for like, and don't hold me these numbers, it was like maybe 75 grand or 80 grand. And then it needed to have a hot water heater and a railing put on ba out back. And the family didn't want to mess around with it. So we bought it from them, sold it for like 130. You know what I mean? So there's a lot of, there's, there's, that's a deal. That, that's one deal to us. So, so, so interesting. So about 76, about three quarters of your flow is wholesale, which really gives you guys some room to breathe then because you're not, you, it's just numbers and metrics, right? You don't have to be active participants in it. You know, you're buy, you know, you're sell, and you're just on a spread. So those, right. then you keep, um, you said 10, so you keep about 10% for long-term holdings. What is your minimum required cap rate um, for you guys on buying something to hold? So our, I don't worry about cap rates as much because we really work in a single family. Like that's not, we, that's really what we do. People have said, do you guys have a lot of multifamily? We don't. We have a handful of two families. We have mostly single families. The, for us, it really just depends on what kind of cash flow we can get uh, on that property. You know what I mean? If we can get cash flow on it, and also now it's become can we short term rent it as well? So we're it, we just look we don't we don't necessarily have a set criteria. It depends where we are in cash flow wise with our company too, right? It depends do we do we have to sell this and pull our equity out? Or are we in a cash position now where we don't have to? So it's not as much about cap rate as it's about where are we in the cycle of our company? What's the best exit strategy yeah. for that property depending on where we are as a company? And now it's gonna be now I. 
Now we kind of have to buy it from our company, which is screwy, but we have to sort of buy it from our flipping company. So now it's like, wait a minute. I have to so there's some things to figure out there as well. How, how many deals did it take you to actually get out of that credit card debt that you had to deal with? I think it was, was the first year. Sick. Well, the first year was one deal. The yeah. three three deals. Well, no, your your first year was seventeen thousand and thirty three thousand. That only puts you at fifty thousand. <laughs> so you are eighty thousand in debt. The math doesn't add up on one deal. So the, we finished that one in two thousand. We did the first one in the end of two thousand seven. But then the next year we did three deals. In in two thousand eight we did in two thousand eight we did three deals. Two thousand eight. So, so that I think, year we were out. yeah between two thousand eight two thousand nine thereabouts. I remember. I do remember. It's going back a ways in my memory, but I do remember. As we were selling those houses, they had new, more deals coming. In. We only did renovations in the early days. That's all we did was renovations. That's just what we liked. We like making things. We you know like taking ugly things, make them look pretty. I always say that's why Amber married me. It's not really working, but that's uh, that's what we always did, right? That was always our thing. Did, did either of so, you have a background in construction? <laughs> Neither one of us. No, not a bit. Not a bit. I had I had good friends that knew about it, um, so I would call them in for suggestions and tips. Um, it's amazing what you'll figure out when you're hungry, though. We were desperate. Like we were, we we knew, you know, sticking to our nine to fives or getting a job wasn't gonna get us where we wanted in life. And we we both we we're both type A's. We're both risk takers. So we just yeah. wanted more. We we were desperate enough to figure it out on our own. And and back then there wasn't a lot of coaching and training out there either. There was, you know. So right. one of the questions I was going to ask is: so one of the the things that a lot of people ask me is how do I find you know because look your gc whoever's doing the actual work on the property can either make or break it right if you're doing a flip how do they how do you find a good gc or do you use a gc especially at the beginning or do you do the work yourself or do you you know kind of handle that yourself like what would you recommend when you're starting off yeah i was gonna say amber and i did our roles i'm gonna let her answer that because our roles are very different like most people think that i handle construction she handles the buying and selling just the opposite i handle the buying and selling and she handled she handled all of the um, all the construction and contractors and stuff. I got the actual shit work, like the sewer, the septic. That's the actual <laughs> shit work I got. So that was what I got. So, but other than that, Amber handled everything. So she she's the pro at that question. Yeah, and it, it was interesting because you know I think I think the dynamics in that world are changing now. There's more and more women getting involved in in real estate investing, which I think is awesome because it's it's such a natural fit. But in the beginning, that was definitely not the case back in 07, 08. So. Um, not only did I have my confidence issues because I didn't know what I was talking about, but here I am, little Texas blonde girl in upstate New York with, you know, a bunch of New York contractors. And, you know, they just looked at me like I was an idiot. So I like I feel like I had to prove myself to every single contractor I came into contact with. And it was a learning experience. Um, we were the we we subbed it out to begin with before we got GCs and then we moved on to a project manager yeah. who now runs all that in New York. But go ahead. But but what I would tell people that are that are listening, whether you're male or female, is you know it the the knowledge that you need comes very quickly. It's not like it yeah. takes years to figure that stuff out. And in the beginning, where um, I may have like you know blamed the contractors for for some things, you know. It was it was really like looking back, it was really my lack of confidence. And once I got that confidence, like I have zero problem talking to contractors now. And you really have to hold them to the fire though, because they they will walk on you if you let them. You know, it's just it's they're, the, they're the hardest part of the job. It, it, they, That's the hardest part definitely of the business. Are. They yeah. will and like they would go to him and say, you know, I need to check that I was way harder on the contractors than he ever was. Um so you just, you have to not let them take advantage of you and you have to set the tone up front. Like I, I would go in with my full scope of work prepared. I would go in with my payment schedule. You know, here's what you get paid. Um, you know, I had six different phases broken out of the job. We still, we still do business that way. So my motto was, you know, I love to pay my contractors, but I'll pay you when you get the job done. I don't want to hear your sob story about, you know, this, that, or the other. And I've heard them all. They're going to have a sob story. I, I will pay they you always do. This phase is done. So, so did you, did you, sure. Did you go? So we always recommend that, that our students go and watch um, YouTube and learn how to do projects. So if, if you want to know how it, how it is to renovate a kitchen, go watch YouTube and see a bunch of people renovating kitchens just to give you perspective on, on what to expect. Did you do anything like that to help build your confidence? 
I don't think we really we didn't have that. It was yeah. So now I'm an old fart, right? So I mean, it was oh, this is oh eight, oh nine, and you know, we were we were kind of original being on YouTube back then. Not original, not by a long shot, but we were we were doing a lot of stuff to market our properties back then. We didn't have the luxury of that. We learned we learned on the fly. And again, I had a best friend who was a contractor. My ex in laws were contractors, so I was sort of around it. And I knew enough to be dangerous, right? I knew enough. I knew enough to hook up a sink. I knew how to do some electrical work. Um, my first company when I was 19 years old was an alarm company, so I knew how to navigate through house a little bit. But after the first three, we didn't do any work. Correct. Yeah, after the first three, we, we, we yeah we decided to sub that stuff out. We said let's hire a GC and let's let them run the project. Now we would the GC would mostly handle all the inside stuff. Then we then we'd hire a separate person for the outside, like yeah, the roof, roof, roof septic. Like we made and you guys asked before about you know. Where, plus somebody said, where do you find them? Maybe I don't, but we, we actually went to Home Depot and early in the morning and started to find people there. That's kind of how we did it. Again, hardest part of the job, in my opinion, and the, the place where you lose the most money is contracting. But I, you know, I had an interview outline that I would, they would have to check off all my boxes before I would even consider hiring them. And, you know, we have to get along. So we, I, we have we have a lot of people who watch us and a lot of students that are either husband wife teams, mother daughter teams, father son teams, father daughter teams, whatever you want it, but they're they're partnered. How did you guys decipher your roles or who was going to do what, and how has that gone? I know I would kill my fiance if we were working together. Literally, we've actually never had one fight. So it's just. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. You need to write a book but, just about not fighting. Right. Yeah. How did oh you decipher God. those roles? Drag out, baby. That's a Mike Tyson caliber fight. Don't worry about that. So that, that is an awesome question. And that's actually one of the things I tell any of my students that we work with is if you are working together in a partnership with mother, daughter, husband, wife, whatever, um, is define your roles. Because, you know, I'm responsible for ABC. You're responsible for XYZ. Now, that doesn't mean you don't support each other within those roles. You know, for example, since we did kind of have opposite roles in the beginning, you know, when we would go in a house, it never failed. The contractor would look at Glenn. Well, what do you want to do about this? And he would always say, I don't know. You need to talk to her. So he would always elevate me in my position and never just take over that, you know, alpha role. Although we we, we battled heavy in the first few years. I mean, we, we people say, how do, you, how do you guys work together? I'm like, well. It's amazing what twenty five thousand dollars and four years of therapy can do for you. And, you lots I mean? and lots of alcohol. Booze is always a good answer too. So we we managed to get our way through that, but we but it got better for us, like Amber said, once when we, we defined them. roles and said, You do this and I do this and shut up. Just you can support me or, or question me, but don't question me too much on this. Let's Yeah, there, there were times because you know, even though we both 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 type A or are type A personalities, then stronger than I am. So there were times where he would try to get in my lane and I would just say, you know, back yeah. off. You need to get out of my lane. Stop trying to you, see You my didn't lane. use that nice of language. Well, maybe so, not. <laughs> so, so, so as you guys were climbing up that ladder, getting out of debt and having your successes, did you do something to celebrate each win when you were first started? Like, did you crack open a bottle of champagne? Did you go out to dinner and, and go dancing? Like, what was your thing that you did with each other to... To we celebrate, we traveled a lot. We, this yeah, time, we traveled a lot. We traveled the world a lot. Got, yeah, we went we're, scuba we're, dive and all that kind of stuff. We're very so. ambitious, so for us, that celebration was finding the next deal. Yeah, I think we were trying to get to. We, we were trying to find a way to build a company to get larger. Like we wanted to be larger, and we wanted. We I always knew too. I always knew that I wanted to to teach other people to do what we do. Right? I always knew that, but. I said, about the third flip, I said, honey, this is it. This is what I can teach people to do. I teach how to flip houses and build rentals. I can, I can teach this, but let's prove the model first. And that's, that's something you don't see in today's world, right? Today's world is they do one deal. They're a guru. I'm they're an all, expert. Oh, yeah. They're all over YouTube. Oh, follow me. And some people have tens of thousands of followers. They haven't done shit. So it kind of cracks me up. I'm like, okay, whatever. So, but we said, listen, let's not let's not teach anybody until we've proven the model. We didn't open our home our home flipping workshop until we had done four hundred deals. That that's the first time we actually started to teach other people. So we we had to figure it out ourselves, and then and then before we taught anybody else. So yeah. we're all about integrity. Uh, sir. I, I do have a question. Uh, one other question. Um, so when when you when you find a new property, what makes it a better wholesale versus a flip? Like, so what do you look at that's going to make you decide at the beginning, all right, I'm just going to wholesale this or I'm going to go down the, you know, fixing it up and reselling it or, or even holding on to it as a rental? What do you look for? I think it has a lot to do with area. Um, you know, what wholesaling started for us by accident, right? So you should know that. So wholesaling was something that we, 
I never wanted to do it because, and I, no offense to anybody who does it, because I do a lot of that, or our company does. But I thought it was a used car salesman. Like I'm buying, I'm buying and selling paper. It didn't seem like I didn't like, like it. Sure. But then I realized I'm paying at the time. It was like let's. I think now we pay like fifty thousand a month for marketing. But let's say back then we were paying, you know, eight thousand a month for marketing or something. And I'm like, I people would call me. And I'd say, oh, I don't. We don't buy in the city. Oh, we don't buy there. Oh, that's that's out of our buy box. And I'm throwing away leads that I'm watching other people buy. And I'm thinking, wait a minute, I paid for that lead. So that that kind of one day we bought a house and a, and a neighbor said, hey, I'll I'll I want to buy the house from you. I'm like, we we just closed. She goes, I know. I wish I had bought it. I want to buy it from you. We ended up making fifteen thousand dollars. She just bought it from us. And I'm like, well, that was interesting. <laughs> you know, that got my brain. This is back before it was. This is back in probably. Um, I don't know, early on, 2012, 13. So we're like, well, that's interesting. So we started doing, you know, maybe we do 80 grand a year. Then we did a few hundred grand a year. Then one year we got serious about it, did about 400 grand a year. And now we do well over a million plus a year in wholesale spreads. And so when we look at a house, it really comes down to what's a better play for us. Again, it's where we are in the company, right? If we can make 50 grand on a wholesale, we'll take that all day long. You know, if we if we could say, listen, because you know the funny part is sometimes you make as much as a wholesale as you would if you just held on to it and did a full flip. The one that you mentioned earlier, where we just did those two things to it. Yeah, we, we made more just wholesaling that than we would have ever. Yeah, if I put all, if I put fifty grand into it to renovate, I would have sold it, made fifty grand. Right. Instead, we made fifty grand for just selling it. So I think it just depends. Every deal's every deal's uh, unique. Yeah, and really for us, we try and pick the best of the best renovations. We don't. We get to the point where we don't just do anything. We try and do the best, the best, whatever. You know, if we can make at least 50 grand on a reno, that's what we're shooting for. Can I just ask you one quick question? Because I'm not, you know, I, I don't do a, a lot when it comes to wholesaling. And, you know, what happens if you get your hands on a property, you get it on, you get a contract written, and for some reason you're not able to, re, I guess, reassign that contract or sell that property? What, like, ha have you had that happen? What happens in that case? Sure. Sure. Yeah. There, there are times that you just can't get rid of a property or, there's a lot of things that happen. One is you set or you sell it, and it's so the title is so loaded with garbage, you can't, you know, you can't. The money doesn't make sense anymore. So we have an exit clause in our contract, and we're very upfront. So when we started teaching this and we started doing it, I one time a wholesaler took me through a house and he said, "Hey, I'm going to tell him that you're that you're a contractor." And I said, "No, you're not." I said, "I'm on TV for God's sake. We weren't ads. I'm not going to tell him I'm somebody else." I said, "I'm not just." Just tell them I'm your partner. I mean, I'm here to look at the house. So we're very upfront. Like our our team says, look it. We come in and say, this is not a house. We we're, we're going to put this house under contract for X Y Z dollars. We may buy it ourselves, which we may. We may sell it to one of our partners. We say, we may sell it to one of our students, um, or we might turn it into a rental. Once we get it in house, we'll determine what we're going to do. And if for some reason it doesn't fit for anything, we'll let you know. And that's, we're, we're very upfront with people. So on the occasion, you know, maybe maybe eight to ten percent of the contracts won't get sold for one reason or the other. And so we just let them know. We just we're unable to help with that deal. But there are people that do that really shady and just like yeah. And we just we're not. We don't so so else. from the buyer pool that you have for your wholesale deals, who do you, who do you say is a typical buyer? Are these people who flip the house? Are they are you wholesaling versus wholesaling the majority of your deals? All different. Again, it's so there's so many. We, where we are in upstate New York, we can list those on the MLS. Like we have a, we have a contract to list on the MLS. So that's really how we don't really just work with a buyer's list per se. We put it out, especially in the past, in the past couple of years, put it in the market and people buy them for a variety of reasons. In my, in my opinion, they overpay a lot of times for those houses, but that's, you know, that's what started me wholesaling. Cause I'm like, we're losing out bids. If they want to pay more for the house, I'd be happy to give it to them. But it's, it's, it's some <laughs> so. investors and it's some homeowners. Yeah, some homeowners buy them, some people that want to just buy rentals or buying up, they're trying to get as many as they can. People come from down the city and they want to, they, they see how inexpensive real estate is upstate as opposed to downstate. So they want to, you know, they sell a house down there for 800000 they can buy four houses up in New York or upstate New York. So that's interesting. You're saying that once you get a, a property under contract, you're able to put it on the MLS while you still have it under contract and wholesale it. Correct. We're the, we're the owners by contract. Okay. So I don't think we can do that here. Yeah, I don't think in New Jersey, there's a lot of red tape around doing that in New Jersey, but there, there are ways to do it. Everything has to be fully dis disclosed and detailed though, but it's not yeah. it's not as common. So Every area is definitely different around the country for sure. Every area is different and we've been fortunate enough to be able to do that, but now we have a huge buyer's list. But yeah, you're right. You know, as far as wholesaling too, I, I you know, now it's gotten so popular. Frankly, I don't know if it's going to be around a whole lot longer in the in the, in the the form that it is now. You know, I mean, you know, it's, 
when they there's a signing and there's I don't know how granular you want to get, but there's a signing and there's wholesaling. Like they're really different things. A yeah. signing is when you just literally I assign the contract to you and I get my my rip, if you will. I get the I get the difference of those two things. Then there's wholesaling, and wholesaling is really when you do a double close. That's the real definition. You mean buy cash and then resell it? Yeah, but but I but I use the end buyer's cash to do it, so it's transactional cash from the end buyer, so it's still not any of your own money. So you're able to do. I'm guessing just in upstate New York, right? Because that's uh, in New Jersey. Anima, you comment on this. From what I know, in New Jersey, that's not even allowed. So it's allowed. Most title companies post 08 don't do it anymore, right? Okay. So the system you guys are talking about is the old school 07 system, where you know you use Peter's money to sell Paul's property. Um, and it worked. It worked phenomenally back then, but it's not it's not per se legal. It just title companies are so concerned about it and uh, with all the fraud that happened pre-07 yeah. that they just won't do it. So you may find a couple that are willing to do it, but New Jersey specifically is a first to record state. So if somewhere in between the transfer of two separate properties, you have to wait for one deed to record before you can file, file the other you have that issue. Now, unless what they're talking about, right, is just wholesaling by assignment, they're going to get their fee, which is the spread at closing, and they never transfer title to their own name. If I would guess, and I think that maybe this is where the clarification is not there, you guys didn't ask the right questions, is Glenn and his wife are not are doing this the, the latter, because why would they want to pay all the closing costs on a full transaction and then eat those losses just to sell it again? So, is my presumption correct that when you're wholesaling, you're not actually closing twice, you're taking, you're, you already have the product with a very small minor deposit to have consideration, you have your end buyer lined up, and he's the one who's got to post essentially all the relevant money necessary to close the transaction, and you get a one line item on your your disbursement, and you just get paid your VIG. Correct. We, we would define that as an assignment, right? We're assigning the contract. In our world, when we say wholesale, now we do some double closes, Primarily, it's if the spread starts to get over $20,000, we don't want to have that disclosed at the closing table because people are always happy with their deal until they realize you're making a lot of money. <laughs> I was just about to say that the spread has to be minimum in order for that to be a play. You guys started pre You guys started pre the crash of 2008. And then when did uh, you start? Just before it. Just before it. What did you do to get through that crash? And now you're wholesaling. When did you start that? Are you going to continue to do that through this recession? I think we just didn't give up. Like we just yeah. kept going. Like I think we, didn't, we, we, didn't, we didn't care what everybody was saying. We just, yeah. we just we took it one house at a time and we just kept growing it and growing it and growing it. I mean. Yeah, people keep saying, oh my gosh, you guys were brilliant. You knew when to take advantage. I'm like, nope, I was just desperate and needed money. I didn't know any different. I just kept pushing. And that's, that's, we just kept pushing even when it was hard. We, we had goals. We, we just kept going to reach our goals. I think, I think when you're, you know, when you go all in, you got to burn your, you got to burn your bridge. We had no other income. We had multiple houses to take care of. I had kids. We had. We just had to make it work. I just didn't, you know, we certainly, we've, we've been knocked down a ton of times. I mean, more times I failed more than I succeeded in most times. If you want to look at how many times I failed, you know what I mean? But we failed and failed and failed. We just kept pushing forward though. That's how we pushed through. And we started wholesaling about maybe four years into our, but again, it was a very small part of what we did. It was only like, okay, I don't want that house. So I'll sell it for somebody else. And we turned it into something bigger when, when frankly, when people start overpaying for houses, in my opinion, I'm like, if you want to overpay, I'm finding them cheaper. I'd be happy to sell them to you. So, because I'm not, I'm not going to lose a bid and I'm paying for the lead. So that's when we start wholesaling. And yeah, we're going to keep doing that. You know, we're going to we're going to keep doing that business. Um, you know, we'll see what happens with it. Um, at, at our peak, I think we flipped 48 houses in a year. Full renovations. Full renovation. Yeah. And, and, then, and like maybe 20 wholesales. We used to be flip flop. Yeah. It was primarily primarily renovations and then wholesales. Now it's wholesales and we cherry pick. The renovation. So right. yeah, we're gonna keep that business model going forward, um, and keep doing what we're doing with that. And because you know, it's a it's a good it's a good way to find more rentals and build up your long term success too. Yeah. Guys, can can I can I ask you some just uh, like factual questions, right? So let's go back to 07. This is what interests me, right? Um, I love the story, right? But the story is the story. I want to know how I, I want to know the ingredients. So back in 07, you're 80k in debt, right? How did you fund your first acquisition? Was it just a straight wholesale? So you had a very minimal amount out of pocket. No, now when all that when all the money went away, is that what you're saying? Well, you're 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 in 07 now. You're 80k in debt. So I'm assuming you have yeah. no money, or you'd pay your 25 percent right. interest credit cards first. So how did you buy that first property? 
So, the, so the, the very first property was 07. We had a we had just a regular loan, you know, like FHA loan, three percent. No we doc. no doc. It was a no doc loan. It was a no doc loan, and then we used credit cards for the for the refinance. Now let's move ahead a year for the rehab. So sorry, before you jump ahead, right? Because this is the, the, this is like the spark, right? So you use credit cards. So the 80k you were in debt was was including this was this debt from the purchases or was it before you got into real no, estate? That, no, that was going through divorce. It, it honestly was my debt. It wasn't Amber's debt. Right, so, so one one of you had to have credit, right? So one of you had to have a credit line to be able to do this because eighty k in credit card debt, no one's really lending you money. Then they went to Amber. Amber swooped in and put down her credit cards, right? So she had credit cards, and I had home equity in one of my homes. So Amber, at that point in time, roughly, what was your credit score, and how much credit did you did you have? What was your buying power on your credit cards, and just in general? Oh, this is going way back. I've always had really good credit. It was always in the probably mid to high 700s at the time. I wouldn't say it was like ridiculous amounts of credit, though. I had maybe like three credit cards. Maybe 20 or 30 total. So, all right. Yeah. He, 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 here's the key question. How did you get money from your credit card to put down on a house? Did you take a cash advance on the card? How, how so, did you get that money? Because you can't walk into like, there's no like Home Depot for houses. And you're like, all right, I'll put this one on my Amex. So where'd you get your 3% so, down payment? Well, no, it wasn't 3%. It was bank statement. So it's probably 20%. No, no, sorry. You were saying. So the credit cards that we used going in, we used for materials. And I think we did one cash advance where they, you know, they send those checks in the mail. I think we used one of those checks one time. And then I had a home equity with about 20 grand out. So we were able to, anything that wouldn't, we couldn't use a credit card for, we used home equity for. So that's how we got through the first, the first one. Okay. Right? Did you take those profits? That's, you made 17,000 on your first deal, right? Correct. Okay. Did you take that 17,000 and roll it into another deal? Or did you think, all right, let me start paying down um, some of that, that credit card debt? Like at that point, what was your financial management plan? Keep rolling? That was, you're going back way in history, but that at the time we had to survive. So we had double mortgage payments. We had kids. We had, that was more money in the bank to keep surviving. So let me take you to the next deal that I think you'll, you'll appreciate where we started to take off. The next two houses we had under contract and whatever that was, we had two, two houses under contract. And literally, I was good friends with the broker. And I called and said, I got to close these loans. He said, the money's gone. I said, no, this is me, man. You can, we can do this. He said, no, no, it's gone. I said, no, no, no. I'm hoping we could get another no-doc loan. Yeah. And he's like, dude, they're gone. I can't even get the money. So we were screwed. We had two houses under contract. They were good renovations. They both had like over 50 grand in profit. And we had to get a private lender. And that's how we started. You know, we now have about a $5 million private lender base. But it started with one person. It was Amber's it was friend. The girlfriend that I worked out with and she had over a hundred thousand dollars equity in her house. But she didn't, she didn't know it though. Right. I think it's important we tell that story. She didn't know. She's like, Oh, I'd love, I'd love to help you guys. I said, boy, we need somebody with some money. We're kind of screwed. And she's, I said, she said, I wish I could help you guys. And I said, you got a really nice house. I knew I did a lot of do it, do it yourself stuff on her house. I, they were always working on their house. I said, do you by chance uh, have a home equity line credit? She goes, I think so. What do you have on it? She said, I think 100 grand. I said, What if we use that? She goes, What do you mean? I go, If I paid your minimum payment. And at the time, I paid her four points because this is what the money was back then. I paid four points and 14%. I just needed money. So I paid her four points and 14% on that money. And her interest was like three or four percent, I think, right. that, that she was paying on the. On the so she netting, she's netting 10% right. on the spread that she's loaning us money that's not even her money. And that's what started it. And then I sent a letter out to a bunch of people I knew and said, if you know anybody looking for money, you know, that wants to invest, let me know. And a friend of mine I hadn't talked to in 10 years called back and said, what is this you sent me? What is this thing? The little packet I put together and he said, what the hell are you doing now? I said, well, I'm, I explained my deal. Over the course of the next two months, he funded three more deals for about 405000 That started our private lender base. Now our private lender base, how we fund our deals is we have a, our private lenders will lend us money on the whole thing. The purchase price, the renovation, the whole works. Just for everybody listening, you know, that's uh, your LTV. So you have a hundred LTV. They give you a hundred percent of your loan to value. Sometimes more. Yeah. Sometimes they say, take an extra 10. And I'm like, okay, fine. Do you personally guarantee these deals? These loans? No. no. They have a first lien position so, on so, the property. So for everybody listening, guys, that's called a non-recourse loan, right? So if you want to Google it, you know, they're, they're in a position now where when you get when your business or you as an individual are 
not credible enough, but have enough credit with your lender, you can take a position and make it a non-recourse loan. But is it is it non-recourse or do they have a first position on the lien? How is it structured with the private lenders? It has a first position. Okay. Yeah, they're always gonna, right? Okay. So, so okay, so with, with that being said, now you're doing that. You you guys are a decade in. I did the numbers. You've got about $57 million of transactions with a little over 600 transactions done. That puts your sweet spot in the 90 to $100,000 range for acquisitions. Like That's your median, that's your average. Would that be correct? Or is that where you guys kind of target your one family home purchase area? Are you saying for the purchase price? Yeah. Yeah, you're, you know, re, it used to be less, but yeah, I would say in that range, we're usually in the, in the 70, 80 range. We do have the occasional 150s and twos. Now the market's changing, right? Now it's more expensive to buy those houses. But that's what I bought a chicken coop. It was a hundred eighty thousand dollars. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Yeah, they do now. Now it's yeah. Now you got to be really careful now crunching numbers. That's for sure because the market's doing some very interesting things right now. So 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 okay. So you're that. So that's your sweet spot. Did that change? Right? Because look, as a lot of people as they start getting making more money, then they start looking at bigger projects. Did you guys ever change your business model, or did you say this just works? So we're gonna keep you know wash, rinse, repeat. Like there's no reason. What's the saying? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. So, so we we did two big projects back in when was Chess born? Or Cruise born? Uh, Fifteen. Two thousand fifteen. So we got a little bit big for our britches, and we took on a big project. And it was a house that we paid two hundred and fifty thousand for. ARV was over half a mil. ARV was six hundred because well, it was assessed value was six. We thought we'd sell it for seven, and we thought we were doing it. So we made that house look freaking amazing. We put all kinds of stuff. We did a great job with the contractor. Was a jerkwad, but whatever. Long story short, we sold that house and lost one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So that was a little bit of an adjustment phase, right? And then at that same time, we had another property on fifty-seven acres of land. It was a huge Victorian. It had two ponds, four acres of grass, and we just it was like three thousand, four thousand square feet, whatever. It was contemporary, not Victorian. What did I say? <laughs> oh, we had a Victorian too. That was oh, the contemporary, Victorian. right? I'm sorry. Yeah. My wife likes to correct me on a regular basis. I'm well, surprised. I'm surprised they've gone this long. To be honest. It's a lot of houses. It's hard to remember all of them. That house we end up selling. We should have made about 180,000 profit. And we end up making $4,500 on that one. Very so, anticlimactic. Very anticlimactic. We didn't lose money, but it sure felt like we lost. <laughs> Yeah. What got you? So, so just out of curiosity, so you you lost a hundred and change on the first one. You made forty five hundred. What was it that got you to that point? Like, how did you lose one hundred and fifty? Was it like some type of well, miscalculation on the front end, or did it? Good question. The market, or we we bought them both right. Um, I tell you what really happened was that Amber. You know, you probably don't know this about our story, but Amber. Amber was our project manager, right? So I'm buying the house, doing all that, and I'm running the company. Amber is our project manager. It's all your fault, Amber. <laughs> Amber. No, it usually is. I can handle it, though. I got big shoulders. So Amber Amber gets hospitalized with our little boy. Oh, I'm sorry. She's yeah. hospitalized for six weeks. He's born. He's not expected to make it through his first day of life. Huh. He did. After yeah. eight, 87 days in the NICU, we got to bring home a, a healthy baby boy. But he did. During, during that time, so between... My, my water broke in 22 weeks. So during the time of, that I was in the hospital and that he was in the hospital, it was about four and a half months. Yeah. So I, know, I walked in the, the office and said, we're out. I said, I'm taking care of my family and I'm out. I said, you, you got to make this company run. You just do it. Do what I've taught you and do your best. And I went to her assistant and said, Barb, you're up. You're a project manager. She goes, well, I don't know anything about it. I said, well, I don't either. And I can't do it right now because Amber's in the hospital. That's my main thing. But the, but the good thing was during that time, they still, our team still kept buying houses. Like yeah, our they bought 20 houses. Kept going and that, that was great. It was just that one big property. But the, the truth is that contractor smelled blood. It was yeah. the same contractor on both houses. He smelled blood and he overcharged, overcharged, overcharged. And by the time I saw what was happening, my brain was elsewhere, guys. Right, I mean, sure. Frankly, right. my brain is on my family, right? And, and I, I saw what was going on, but I thought we'd be okay. And then it sold for a hundred, both of them sold for a hundred thousand less than we expected because it was out of our normal buy box. It was just, the the prices were just something that we had very there's a very small amount of buyers for a house at that price point in, in, that, the upstate, area. in that area in that area now I would I would do that down here in Harvey oh yeah you know if the numbers if the numbers worked because you know in in we're in the St Pete area of Florida so the numbers here as long as so uh, it's funny, true, I, I, I would, like that the buyers pool down here is much bigger than the buyers pool in upstate New York I, I I have a similar investment strategy to you guys where um. Uh, we live in Bergen County, New Jersey, right? It's probably one of the wealthiest counties in the country. Um, I don't buy or do business here. I go out. I go a little bit out 
to what I call the country, but what a lot of people just call, you know, a little bit west in New Jersey, uh, <laughs> 45 minutes out. Um, and the, the my purchase prices are always in the 90 to 120, 130 range. My ARV, what I'm looking to get out, should be in the threes, mid twos with minimal in. Every single time I've done a deal outside of that box where I pick something up for 300, 400, put 100 into it and expect this wonderful payday, never happens. I always end up yeah. regretting it. I always end up, my actual return on my investment is always far less. So but I just find it interesting it. every once in a while. But, <laughs> you know, it's because look, at the end of the day, you just keep getting called back in for more. You always think that one's going to be different. This time but, is different. <laughs> but um, no, ultimately, that's why I asked you guys, do you do, have you changed your investment strategy? And the answer to that phenomenally is no. But if it isn't, if it, if it isn't broken, don't fix it. So yeah. how do you plan on changing that strategy? Because candidly speaking, those deals, you know, thanks to very much people like yourselves with your classes, educating people. I'm not a proponent of educating people. I want to be <laughs> the only person who has information. Um, Thank you, Nima. <laughs> you're welcome. Uh, how do you plan on you literally fighting your, the competition that you're creating? I mean, every month you're putting out people with the recipe. So at what yeah. point does it begin to actually affect your business? So I think we started doing that, you know, way back when we first started doing that, I ran a local, the local RIA group I ran back in upstate New York before we had our home for the workshop. And people used to go, man, you talk so much, you share, you share too much. I'm like, I, I just believe in an abundance mentality. I believe they're going to figure it out. If someone wants to figure it out, they're going to figure it out anyways. Let's be honest. A lot of people want to do it and won't do it because it's hard. I, at our workshops, I, I say, listen, what we do is hard work, but it's worth it. But you've got to be willing to put the work in. So a lot of people won't do what we do. At the end of the day, I can teach them all day long, and they won't do what we do. And, and most but, people don't want to do it as a business. They might want to flip a house or two on the side of, yeah. their, of their job. So it's not like, and, and, we, and we just believe in the and I And I'd rather job. teach them the right way instead of having to go out there and screw You know, I, it's so bad when a wholesaler, a new wholesaler gets some education course online, and they... They run out and they do a quick wholesale deal to somebody and they buy it at 30,000 more than they're supposed to. And then they, then they got the seller thinking that the house is worth that. And it kind of screws it up. So, so, really teach them the right so, so let me, let me ask you guys this too, right? Um, just sort of in, in, in terms of your business model, you said you have a $5 million pool right now of, of money, but at your point, right? Why do you still use other people's money? And if you do, what is the interest rates that you get today compared to obviously that 14 and four back in the day? So I'd have to look and see what we have going. I know that last month, last month, our company, our team put, I, I think, 25 houses under contract to purchase, which or I think it was 28. Don't have me the number 28 maybe to, to purchase, which means we'll probably purchase about 22 of them. Um, there'll be a chunk for wholesales, and a chunk for innovation. So we we are leveraging other people's cash to do that. What I do now those, those investors that we have, I use them for the renovation portion and I use a commercial lender. I use a lender that I met. I'm part of a mastermind group. So I have a lender that lends at a good rate, 10%, uh, 1.10% that they're in first position. And I use my investors for the renovation money. So I'm still a hundred percent in on the project. You know, we're, we have a lot of projects going at any given time. So that's, that's what I use that. But, 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 so wait, but again, 1.10% plus fees. So you're really at 13%, right? If you, Calculate even if the lawyer fees are reasonable, like you said, especially in New York, requires lenders on deals for for um, for the banks. Even at that point, thirteen percent. If you rolled your own money, you'd be adding thirteen percent to your bottom line. So, do you just find it that you're more scalable and it makes sense even at those numbers to utilize it? I mean, what's what, what is your logic yeah. for not saying no to lenders? So correct. So correct. I I took a long time to build. We took a long time to build those relationships. Those lenders. I want to have them because could I use my own money at times? Yes. I couldn't scale all as big as I want to scale with all my own money. Plus, for our own money, we put it into our renter portfolio and we put it into private lenders for some of our students. We do a lot of I get I make more than the actual, you know, 12 or 13% I'm paying right now with my money elsewhere. So that that was kind of what I was getting, and I expected you to answer that. So for for you guys listening to this, right? Um, when you can make money. 10 to 13% is like, I would rather spend money. I would rather spend money on myself than make 13% on it, right? It's just not worth it for me. So when people are investors or, you know, you hear numbers like 13%, people who have a good product, you know, um, like Len and Amber, for them, that 13% is negligible because that's not their margin. Their margins are usually so good sure. that they can factor in 13% to be an almost irrelevant figure. Um, and it makes more sense for them to keep their money for their own projects because they will always make more than 13% on their own money. So why not use someone else's even at 13%?
Would that be an accurate right. summary of your thought process? 100%. 100%. It, it, guys, it's also one of these like, don't try this at home, right? <laughs> <laughs> so that's like the equivalent of like watching a mountain bike trick and being like, I can do this. But, it, uh, but, but it they had to get to that to point. There. They had to get to that point. In the beginning when they started out, obviously you didn't have that option. So with that being said that you had to get to that point, what are, let's say top three steps of how someone can get into this? How can they, how can they start to become you? What is the first thing that someone who's watching us tomorrow should go out and do? Learn how to say yes to your wife. Don't fight with her. Cause that'll go, you get there faster. <laughs> I'm behind that one, but what should, what should, what she are wants the, the real things? stuff. What are the three things they should go out and do if they want to start this? So Glenn has an expression that I love and it's folding time because, you know, when we started, we didn't have coaching. We didn't, we, we really did learn from the school of hard knocks. So I think the first thing somebody needs to do is go out and get educated. And, you know, we do, we do that. So they can go to homeflippingworkshop.com and come to one of our workshops. I think people are, you know, are attracted to different. Yeah. Find, who you, for different find things. who you find, like. Find too. something that resonates with you though, that you can identify with, that you trust, that you don't feel like it's going to just bullshit you. Um, so find, you know, get educated so that you can, you can crunch that learning time in half, you know, have the track to run on. I love that. Back. We're a school. So I'm Absolutely. totally behind you on that one. What's so, the yeah. second after so I've gotten think, educated? I, I think number two is take action. You know, there's so many people that talk about wanting to do this, that watch all the TV shows that, you know, say, you know, they, they, we, we have friends that do that. We have friends that know what we do that we would, you know gladly help, but they still just talk about it. So number two is take action and push past the fear. The last one I would say is, you know, I, I'm a big believer that we become like those we associate with and you've got to get around people like you, like us. You've got to get around people that think and talk in a different language. Look, last week, so I'm good friends. We're part of what's called the collective genius. It's a, it's an amazing networking. It's an yeah. amazing mastermind. And you got to do 75 deals a year to be part of this group. And so We've been in it for about two years and I've become good friends with the owner. And so he, he lives in Tampa. So we were hanging out two weekends ago in his pool. We're hanging out there and a couple other guys were there. And a couple guys were there that were not in real estate. One was a guy that did private equity. One was a guy that was doing a startup tech company. I sat in the pool and talked to these guys about their businesses. And I learned so much that I didn't know. Like I was like, wow, these guys are younger than me. They knew a whole lot more about things I didn't know about. And it got, I, I got in the car. I said, it's amazing, right? You, you've got... You've got to be around people that think at a higher level than you. If you don't, you will never think at a higher level because you won't know what you don't know. You don't know how to think at a higher level. I so am sharp and got to be around people that – so if you want to be a real estate investor, get around you, right? Get around 100%. You guys. 100%. So on the, reverse, on the reverse side, what are the top three things that you should not do? Yeah. <laughs> what, should you, what should you not do? Just the top three, not Just the top, the top 100. Three. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say, how much time do we have today? So I would tell you that the top three things not to do. Don't wing it. Yeah, don't don't wing it. Too much information out there. Be very careful getting too over leveraged in the beginning. Um, and, and what I mean by over leverage is not necessarily the money, but with what you're doing. Some people start, they want to do two, three projects that are rip. I'd be very careful with that. I think you put yourself in a very vulnerable spot to do that. Um, make really calculated decisions too. You know, that the good thing about real estate is everything's pretty much measurable with numbers. And number three is don't listen to the masses. Yeah. And right now, I'm not sure what's going to happen in the months ahead. You know, it's been weird. I, I keep thinking I'm going to hear like, hey, get away from real estate. People keep coming into it. Interest rates go up. They come back down. It's We're in a weird, we're all kind of like, hmm. I know you guys are too. I just we're like, hmm. We're all kind of just like watching right now. So I think just be very careful and don't listen to the wrong people. That's all. Glenn, Amber, what what metrics, if any, do you guys look at like weekly to uh, sort of keep yourselves informed on the market? Or at this point, are you just based off your gut? I I don't. I'm not a real detail person. You know, I'm, I'm really not. I, I, I joke around. I'm like, I, I just own the company. I don't know all the details right now. I have a great, my COO is a great guy. He watches all the numbers and stuff. You know, I do watch the i do watch metrics on what it you know what is the days on market i want to see what that looks like out there right now i want to see what the what the average sale prices are we dropping but really what i focus on is my area because i think real estate is very local you know yes it's nationwide Our, we have a really weird little pocket upstate new york in the capital region up there it's a weird pocket that doesn't really get hit too hard one way or the other we didn't have a massive appreciation we had appreciation but not a massive like las vegas did so 
I follow my own little area and I see what's happening. That's really what I focus on because that's where my business is right now. So that's what I focus majority on. Do, do you guys give back to that community for PR? I mean, what do you do in the community that you guys operate in? Um, we, we are on TV a lot. Like we do a ton of TV commercials and that kind of stuff. And we haven't been on a radio ad in a while, but we've done some ads. We've done a live news shows. We have not in a while. We, we support a local charity there called things of my very own. Yeah. Yeah. I think Amber got my question. Yeah. <laughs> Good to know. Good to know. How, how important is, um, or what is the most important part of your relationship or what is that secret ingredient that keeps the two of you focused and together and moving forward, um, that you could share with us? I don't think love is enough, personally, because um, even people love each other, hurt each other. I think staying connected is really important, and that takes work. Uh, you know, with with us, we both still are active in business. We have four kids. Our two youngest are seven and nine, so they're in sports and all that stuff. So I, I think it's really important to make time for each other and stay connected. I think respect is a big one. When you're in business together and you're in love together, you've got to respect each other and I think I think there's spice too, and I don't mean spice just sexually. But certainly, I like that, too. But, not, but not that. But I'm saying spice, spice when it comes to you know. I I had a new business idea last night that I bounced off her, and she's like, "Huh." So all of a sudden, our brains are thinking about something new. So it's it's in real estate, but our we're always we're always growing together. I think that that's what I would probably say. We have we have to grow together. I think if one partner grows past the other one, and the other one doesn't grow, you're eventually gonna gonna grow separate. Apart. You're gonna grow apart. You know, I just wanted to make sure before we end that you tell us about your new book that's coming out because I saw that it's coming out in a couple of months with Simon and Schuster. Tell us what yep. the what the title is. Tell us what it's about. I love it. I am going to read it. I was trying to buy it, and then I was like, "Damn, I have to wait a Not couple more months." Pre-order, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we wrote that last year. So the, it's the birth of the everyday real estate investor. How how real estate, not stocks, are the new new investment going forward to build wealth. And it's, uh, it's really just, it's, it's kind of our story tied in with what we do. You know, we specialize in wholesaling, obviously renovation and flipping long-term and short-term rentals. That's the, that's the niche that we have and also running companies inside those. And so that's the book sort of takes a journey from when I, when I first, I was a young teenager when I first realized like my parents paid 12, five for their house in the fifties and their payment was $51 a month. I laugh at that. Right. And <laughs> And when I was in, in the 80s, we took a motorcycle trip to the top of Pikes Peak in Colorado, where my brother lived, to burn their mortgage. And I remember thinking to myself, that house at the time was worth like 80 grand. You know, and I'm thinking, you paid 12, five, and it's worth 80 grand, you paid 50 bucks a month. And as a 14-year-old kid, I just it just stayed in my head. And I thought, if I could retire with 10 of those, I would essentially be a millionaire. And now that house is worth like 250, right? So it just that was sort of the the spawning of the idea for me in real estate investing, and then here we are. These are the other stories I tell in there, but I also go through the details of what we have done to get to where we've gotten to in the book. So it's more of a it's a storytelling while it's all the factual stuff, and it's it's all there. Yeah, it's got a lot of meat in it too, not just. It does. Yeah, yeah it's got yeah. it's two hundred pages. It's not a I, it, when I started doing it, it was like before I knew it, we just kept giving more and more information. I'm like, okay, well, let's do a good book here. So yeah, we're, we're excited about that. So the birth of the everyday real estate investor, October 11th is when it, uh, uh, comes out, but it's available for pre-order now on Amazon. Well, so. our, our, our students love the meat and potatoes in a book. So we're very excited to have had you here today and we look Thank forward to following your story. And, um, we yeah. hope to have you again in the future. And Amber, I'd love to have one-on-one -on -one conversation with you about how women can really get into this because I love that you are the mastermind brains behind it all. And I'm going to pick all of that out for our listeners. Awesome. I would love that. Awesome. Don't, don't, don't forget to ask everybody to subscribe. Yes. Subscribe, subscribe, subscribe guys. I'm off my game today. So you're going to subscribe. You're going to push that button. You're going to buy Glenn and Amber's book and you're going to come to recareercenter.com and find out more about the center for real estate education. And, and remember if you visualize it, you can own it. Yep. Bye guys. Bye guys. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye.